again, critical race theory has has become this lightning rod, this catch-all for anything related to race. It has been miscast as as something that in in itself uh, is is racist, right? But it's it's an approach, and again, this is used at the, at the graduate level. It's an approach for understanding how racial inequality can be replicated. to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, along with my co-host, Devin Dito. Now, today's episode is a hot topic episode, really about the topic of education, specifically around the topic of critical race theory. Um, Before everyone gets too stirred up about the subject, though, we thought it would be a great idea to do an episode where we actually break it down and actually talk about it. So today, listeners and viewers, we're joined today by Janelle George, adjunct professor at Georgetown University, and she will be also joining Georgetown Law as an associate professor of law next month. So let's give you a little bit of background about Janelle. Prior to joining Georgetown Law clinical faculty, Professor Janelle George was a senior policy advisor with the Learning Policy Institute, where she co-led the Equitable Resource and Access team. Her work focused on racial equity education as a civil right, school segregation, resource equity, and school finance reform, community schools, and other issues that shape equity and access in K-12 education. She is co-author on Report the Federal Role in School Integration, Brown's Promise and Present Challenges with Linda Darling-Hammond. So as you can see, another great, highly qualified guest, you know, as the bike agenda, we always like to do that for you. So Janelle, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, no problem. So uh, listeners and viewers and Janelle, our first segment is going to be about the topic, what is critical race theory? We figured, you know, let's actually kind of get into it a little bit and actually explain it so we don't have all these falsehoods and things that, you know, we got from the media and other people. So Janelle, just our first question, our first segment, you know, just just give us and our, you know, and our listeners a, a good overview of what critical race theory is and what it's actually trying to teach. Sure. So to be clear, critical race theory is a legal theory. It was developed in the legal academy by professors uh, in the late 1970s. The originators include uh, the late Derek Bell, who is a Harvard University professor, Kimberly Crenshaw, who actually coined the term critical race theory, Patricia Williams, Richard Delgado, uh, Gene Stefancic, among many, many others. So it's a legal theory. It's, 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 it's a theory that's uh, taught in law school. Uh, it eventually uh, moved to other fields uh, such as sociology and education, but it's something, again, that, that's in the legal academy. And I emphasize that because... Uh, Children in the K through 12 level are, are not being taught these, this theory, right? They're not reading the work of Richard Delgado and Kimberly Crenshaw. So I, I do want to be clear about that. So as a legal theory, it's an approach. Uh, it's a verb, not a noun, as Kimberly Crenshaw says, uh, to understanding how systems like the law can actually replicate racial inequality in America. Uh, and so again, it's, it's, it's a, an approach. 
Um, and again, children in the K through 12 level are, are just as likely to learn about critical race theory as they are about other legal theories, right? Like legal originalism, right? So they're not, they're not learning this dense legal theory, but it seems that some of the recent controversy is really centering on the term critical race theory. And in some ways, I think exploiting the complexity of it uh, to become a catch-all, if you will, for anything related to race. It's not a diversity training. It's, it's not a curriculum. It's, it's a legal approach and a framework for understanding the endurance of racial inequality post the civil rights era. And, and, and there you go. I mean, that's going to be myth number one that's busted on the show, which is that it's not being, you know, like you say, it's not something that K through 12 students are going to be taught. They're not going to be reading, you know, legalese trying to figure out what critical, mm-hmm. you know, what critical race theory really is. Um, and so, but, you know, like you say, they're, they're kind of exploiting the topic because it can be very complex. And so, um, the reason why, you know, the way we found you on the show was that you had written an article for the American Bar Association mm-hmm. where you really explain what critical race theory is. And, and in particular, you know, you, you, you explain how it defines racism differently than how we, you know, how most of society does. Um, right. And in particular, you know, you said that, that racism isn't simply solely the consequence of discrete, you know, or irrational bad acts perpe- perpetrated by individuals. But it's usually unintended, but often foreseeable consequences of choices. So just kind of, you know, walk us through what is what exactly does that mean? How does critical race theory define racism? And then can you talk about how words like mainstream or normal or traditional values can be a way of covering up, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of the, the racism that's underneath it? Sure. So first, critical race theory, like many other theories, it's, it's, it's not something confined to like a static definition. It's evolving, it's changing, but there are some key tenets of critical race theory. And, and what I highlighted in the Bar Association article is uh, some of those features that uh, Berkeley Law professor Kiera M. Bridges talks about in her primer on critical race theory, which I think is a great source to just understand what critical race theory is. And so their uh, critical race theory recognizes that race is not biological, uh, uh, but it's socially constructed and socially significant. So we know the Human Genome Project, for example, found that all people share 99.99, et cetera, percent of the same genes, yet in American society, your perceived race has social consequences. It had consequences for who was actually enslaved. Uh, and it, it has consequences today, right, that might impact, for example, someone's interaction with law enforcement. So there are real consequences. Critical race theory also acknowledges that racism is a normal feature of American society. It's not, it's not a barren. It's not, uh, a, lo- a lot of people like to think there are these isolated incidents. And it's not. It's, it's very normal. And at times, it can appear rational, but it's a normal feature of American society. Uh, and and uh, to your point, Devin, it also recognizes 
that racism is not just confined to individual bad actors, right? There's that idea that if we get rid of the bad apples, if you will, uh, then everything else will be fine. It recognizes that systems and institutions like the legal system can actually do the bulk of replicating racial inequality. So for example, in the real estate uh, arena, if we look at practices like redlining, uh, in which realtors actually define areas where Black people could not own homes, or you look at uh, racially restrictive covenants, which is a legal term meaning that uh, there were actually clauses written into the deeds of homes that said you could not sell this property, you could not sell this home to a Black person, right? And so when we recognize those policies and practices, we understand why we have racially segregated neighborhoods. They're the result of intentional policies and practices. Black people didn't just get together and say, well, let's move to this area or that area. There was actually the intentional restriction right, of where Black people and other people of color could live. So that's what critical race theorists are referring to when they're recognizing policies and practices replicating racial inequality. And and I think that that's so important for us to to talk about, um, because it's, you know, whenever we talk about, you know, race, because that's what, you know, Devin and I, we've been talking about since, you know, day one of, of our podcast, it's always that it's hard to you know, pinpoint where it is in society, but, you know, it's almost like, you know, critical race theory is really trying to help society figure out where racism can be perceived. Um, and, you know, the, our, our question to kind of round off this segment here, you know, we've been doing a lot of talks about democracy. There's been a lot of talk about democracy around the country. And you hear a lot of people, mainly on the Republican side, who say that CRT is unpatriotic and really counter counterproductive to this ideal of patriotism and democracy that we're trying to do with building our country back. Um, Janelle, when you hear people, you know, say that, you know, whenever they're talking about critical race theory, you know, do you feel that that's trying to um, undermine what y'all are really trying to focus on when you actually are trying to just tell or really look at how different institutions, you know, view the historical sense of racism and the aftermath and the effects thereof? Yeah, that's a great question, Adrian. So these the the way that critical race theory again, this is a legal theory that lives in the legal academy, right? And again, it's spread to other fields, but it's this is a graduate level theory, right? Um, so the way that critical race theory is being mischaracterized as unpatriotic or un-American, I think is really counter to what critical race theory even purports, right? I just described a few of the tenets, right? And again, it's an evolving practice, but it recognizes the social construction of race. So it's actually not divisive. It recognizes how race in, in this country has essentially been fabricated. Right. I, I mentioned how the, the, the institution of slavery, slavery was it was inheritable. Right. The condition of of enslavement was inheritable through the mother uh, because a lot of uh, slave owners fathered their own children and enslaved them. Right. But it's a social construction of, of race. Right. And so uh, I one of the originators, I mentioned uh, the late Derek Bell, He had also worked as an attorney with the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund. So he recognized that while race 
uh, I'm sorry, while the law could be a tool of oppression to uh, advance racial inequality, it could also be a tool of emancipation, right? He he had seen, he had litigated school desegregation cases and other cases. So he recognized that, that these systems also have the potential uh, to help eradicate racial inequality as well. And so I, I think critical race theories re- or theorists recognize it. Uh, the class that I, I teach at uh, McCord School of Public Policy on racial inequality in K through 12 education, uh, it's a public, it's, it's a course for master's level public policy students. And I, I teach about, uh, use the lens of critical race theory and use that approach because I want to ensure that as the students go out into this world as policymakers, that they're mindful of the ways that they craft public policy. And, and they're mindful of the, the historic ways that po- laws and policies have perpetuated inequality so that as they're thinking through the potential implications of the policy they craft, they're, they're aware of that. And, and so that the policies don't have even unintended co- consequences of replicating inequality. And so that's what critical race theory offers an approach not only to understanding the endurance of racism, but that's what brings us to the point where we can start to examine what are some strategies and tools for helping to eradicate it. You know, our first episode of this podcast was called Eradicating Racism, you know, oh, wow. and, and we talked about. Yeah. And so it's funny you use that word because we talked about it at the very beginning that racism is not mm-hmm. some sort of illness. You know, there is accountability mm-hmm. on the person for how you act and how you treat people. And you cannot fall back on, well, we didn't intend for, you know, black schools to always be perpetually underfunded. But that's Mm -hmm. how the system was crafted. You know, when you Mm -hmm. base public, you know, public uh, schools to be funded by, you know, local tax dollars. Well, in poor Mm -hmm. neighborhoods, the tax base is not there to be able to support good, good funded schools. So it Mm -hmm. breeds, you know, inequality in the student outcomes. Mm -hmm. But on its face, it doesn't look like it's racist or it's breeding Mm -hmm. inequality just because they can say, well, it's based off tax dollars. Um, But I think there's, you know, Mm -hmm. to me. When people, you know, they, they say like, well, race doesn't exist anymore. You know, we don't judge you on your color. We're colorblind in America. I think that we're just trying to fool ourselves into thinking that those things are true when they're really not. You know, like you say, we didn't just get here by accident. This right. is not an accident. We didn't end up with the majority, you know, of, of black people being in, the, being in our prisons or, the, you know, right. a lot of so many black schools being underfunded. That didn't happen by accident. I mean, like you say, right. they, their system, systems are built to perpetuate, uh, the, you know, the, the environments that we are currently dealing with. And, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll talk about it in the next segment, but you said it. It's a graduate level theory. This is mm-hmm. not something that's being taught on the local K through 12 schools. They're not going to be bringing home assignments saying, you know, what is critical race theory? And let's talk about it. That's not. That's an extraordinary um, school. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> if, if that's the case. Um, right. Exactly. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's crazy how far it's gone, you know, mm-hmm. and we're trying to pull it mm-hmm. back and say, hold on now before you get too far with it. But we're going to mm-hmm. talk about that because some, you know, as you know, a lot of states are, are rushing 
can't, you know, falling over each other trying to ban mm-hmm. critical race theory, mm-hmm. and they probably don't even know what they're banning. So uh, right. we're going to talk about that on the other side of the break. So that's going to do it for our first segment. Um, so stick with us, listeners and viewers. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda Podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So we're continuing our conversation with uh, Miss Janelle George. She is currently an adjunct professor at Georgetown University, but she'll be soon an associate professor with Georgetown Law, and that's going to be happening next month. So kudos to her for that. Um, so Janelle, you know, in the first segment, we talked at length about, you know, what is critical race theory? Uh, where is it taught? You know, and we, we figured out it's not really being taught on, on a K through 12 level. This is more of a, a graduate theory. But that hasn't stopped, you know, folks from trying to go out and ban it. And in particular, this really kind of all started, you know, with former President um, Donald Trump, who signed an executive order banning, you know, um, federal diversity trainings and things that use concepts that they saw as divisive, uh, which Mm -hmm. to them included something called critical race theory. And so, you know, from my point of view, you know, we talked about it in the beginning, but most people don't know what critical race theory is. And so um, just, you know, the question is, why do you think now that critical race theory is getting so much attention when it has been around for quite a while? And, you know, are you surprised at the reaction that we've gotten from, you know, President Trump, governors, state legislatures that are now trying to fall over themselves, trying to ban this uh, from being taught in Mm -hmm. schools? Right. So it it seems like critical race theory, again, which which is as we were discussing, is it originated in the legal academy and is is a, a an approach to examining how systems like the legal system can replicate racial inequality. Uh, it's become a catch-all in so many ways for anything related to race, whether it's a diversity or inclusion training or culturally relevant pedagogy or um, uh, curriculum. It, 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 it has really, I, I think in many ways, the complexity of critical race theory has been exploited to truly mischaracterize this. And it's interesting, I was watching this, uh, the readout with Joy Reid, uh, who was interviewing one of the uh, originators of critical race theory, Kimberly Crenshaw. And she noted the moment that we're in, right? So we're one year out from a real raci- racial reckoning that not only this nation has had, but really people around the world, where Black Lives Matter uh, uh, really it, it was resonating all around the world uh, in the wake of the killing of George Floyd, uh, we had an election, right? This executive order that was uh, issued on the eve of Trump leaving office, which was invalidated by a federal court. And of course, it was later rescinded by President Biden. 
But it was in some ways, one thing Crenshaw said that I think is 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 absolutely well, everything I, I agree with everything she said, but she's she talked about how you have these moments of progress and then you have these moments of backlash. So we we had that during the very brief period of reconstruction. And by the way, during that brief period of reconstruction, we had elected black congressmen, we had a black senator, they helped to craft the modern day public education system. Before the Civil War, public education was, or education period was not widely available. Wealthy white families sent their children to schools. Uh, enslaved people, of course, were prohibited from learning how to read or write. Uh, but, but they helped to craft, create the, the modern day public education system and so valued education that the inclusion of an education clause in a state constitution was required for readmission to the union. Uh, and so uh, five years into reconstruction, every Southern state had an education provision in, in their state constitution. And I say that because what, what you have, so you had the truncated period of, of reconstruction, then the backlash that followed reconstruction. You have the election of Barack Obama and then the backlash, the, the election of, of Trump. And so it, there was this ra- racial reckoning, the real demonstration of political participation and, and power by black people and other people of color. And similarly, now you have this backlash and and the talking points now are critical race theory, right? So they know better in some circles than to use the the racial slurs, right, or the invectives that were invoked during the 50s and 60s. But now the slurs are critical race theory, culturally relevant pedagogy, diversity, and they're, they're used, looking at some of these school board meetings, right? With the same kind of venom that that the racial slurs were used in. And they also co-opt the language of the civil rights movement. Uh, Even if you look at um, Republicans in Congress, Mitch McConnell and Tom Cotton introduced legislation called the Saving American History Act uh, that would actually decrease federal funds for schools that use curriculum based on the 1619 project. And that's the New York Times project that was uh, led by Pulitzer Prize winner Nicole Hannah-Jones that recognizes the year 1619 when the first enslaved Africans arrived on, arrived on our shores is the origination of America, right? Of course, there is actually a prohibition in federal law that, that bars the federal government from directing state or, or district or school curriculum. Um, but they introduce this legislation. They call it a, like a messaging bill, right? And, and some of the other proposals, they use the same language. They talk about equality and rights. They're co-opting that civil rights language. And I think what we have to do is expose this for what it is, which is really another iteration of backlash against back, Black progress. And so we have to move away from just defining critical race theory or seeking to clarify what it means to exposing what this this uh, vitriol and the legislative movements uh, that are afoot in state legislatures are about right now. 
No, I, I think you're right. Um, we, we talked a lot about that uh, backlash. I think in some of our episodes, we called it white lash because we, we did an episode on the 1619 Project. Uh, we've did an episode on you know the Confederate flag and different things like that. And, and that's what we've seen throughout history where minorities, particularly black minorities, when we try to take a step forward, there's always a rebellion to try to push us back. And we definitely saw that with former President Donald Trump with the idea of the 1776 commission. You know, it just seemed like it was a counter narrative to go to the 1619 mm-hmm. project. And it seems like that's what you know America mm-hmm. always tries to do to us. I mean, when you've got, you know, insurrectionists who are majority white, you know, they're viewed as patriots by some people versus our protesters who get called thugs because they're part of BLM. Mm-hmm. So, Janelle, you know, whenever you're talking to mm-hmm. people about CRT and you're noticing this, you know, this backlash, you know, from a scholarly perspective, how do you get white Americans to just accept the truths of what you're trying to teach with this CRT and, and just trying to get them to open up a little bit? Right. So I, I think that it's really important, Adrian, to... Uh, um, This is not about casting anyone as a victim or an oppressor. Uh, It's really about, first of all, I think, embracing our our full history, the full history of America, which includes some pretty horrific things. Right. And James Baldwin said that in his his talk, uh, a talk to teachers in 1963. Right. American history is larger, more vast, more beautiful and terrible. Right. Than, than any of us can imagine. And so we have, we can't just, um, sanitize the parts of history that we don't like because they, they did help to shape this country. For example, in my, in the course I teach it at McCourt, uh, about racial inequality in education, I start with the origins of that inequality. So students read, uh, uh, excerpt from Frederick Douglass's narrative about how he was uh, prohibited from learning how to read or, or write. They learn about the black codes and the penalties that were imposed for enslaved black people learning how to read or write. And they learn about Native American boarding schools. They learn about how uh, Native children were, many Native children were forcibly removed from their homes. Uh, they were stripped of their language and their culture and placed in these schools where they were subjected to horrific abuse um, and in the damage, the enduring damage, right, that that has even now on the state of, of education for Native Americans. So, so they learn about the origins. They also learn how all students of color, not just black students, uh, but Latinx students and Chinese uh, American and other Asian American students were subjected to segregation. So they, they, for example, read Brown versus Board of Education, but they also read Lum versus Rice and Mendez versus Westminster. So they understand that whole history. And to be clear, a lot of my, my students are white. And, and I've never had a student, at least not yet, um, say that I feel guilty. I feel like I'm being cast as an oppressor. And to the contrary, some of them are actually outraged uh, and, and some of my students are older. Some of them have taught for several years and some of them have actually been outraged. How have I reached this point in my education? And, and I've never been taught about this or I've never learned about this. 
right? Students want to understand that. And having a a holistic understanding of history, again, is not casting anyone as a perpetual victim or casting someone as an oppressor. I was just reading an article about um, some school board meetings here uh, locally in the Washington, D.C. area. There was a school board meeting in in Loudoun County, Virginia, uh, where two people were arrested and a, a parent said something about you know, how children are being taught about race. And again, there's a conflation of critical race theory with anything related to race. It's not, critical race theory is not culturally relevant instruction, which it sounds like some teachers are attempting to do, right? And so I think we have to talk about, first of all, what is wrong with a holistic view of history? And so asking some of those who are speaking out against critical race theory to first, again, not get bogged down in semantics, but just ask, what is wrong with a holistic vision of American history? Right. And I'm sorry, not not even a vision, the facts of of a a holistic understanding of American history. Why would any of us be opposed to that? Right. Um, Because if there are issues with the actual content, we need to understand why we would not want children to understand uh, um, the full range of, of their history, right? So that's something that we really, that sounds like the core of the, of the conversation here, right? Not getting lost in the semantics of critical race theory, diversity trainings, et cetera, but really looking at the core issue. Why, are, why is there resistance to understanding the history of this country? You know, Janelle, excuse me, it's a, it's a very interesting point when you're talking about that because it's like, you know, it's a, it's like everyone who's against critical race theory, they're just trying to say that it's trying to teach people that, you know, white America was wrong and that they're the, you know, they're the oppressors and that minorities are just trying to be victims. And, but you're just trying to speak to the truth that that's not what it's about. It's just trying to teach that American history you know, involves a lot more than just, you know, we wrote our Declaration of Independence, signed the Constitution, and we just picked up after the Emancipation Proclamation. There was a lot of dark moments and a lot of, you know, hard truths that we need to teach people. So I, I really, really wanted to make sure to highlight that. And I love the phrase you said, sanitize history, especially with, you know, COVID, everyone's used to that. But I feel like that's what you see throughout education. Mm-hmm. We're trying to pick and choose what we're going to highlight mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. just trying to make sure people know what's going on. So thank you, Janelle, for really, really laying that out there. Um, what we're going to do, listeners and viewers, we're going to wrap up this segment here. We're going to get into our third segment, uh, which is really, Janelle, for us, a, a way to look forward because we've been talking about a lot of things, a lot of uh, heavy things, graduate level things, one could say. So we're just going to uh, show our viewers <laughs> and our listeners how they can actually apply this and move it forward. So fans, stick with us. We'll take another break and we'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to our scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All 
All right, listeners, so welcome back. We're continuing our conversation with Ms. Janelle George, who is an adjunct adjunct professor at Georgetown University. I mean, so we were talking a little bit before we came back on, Janelle, about you know what's happening in our state legislatures, and and you hit the topic right on the head uh, because that was the question. You know, as we sit here today, I, I think we have about you know we have Arkansas, Florida, Idaho, um, Iowa, Montana, and Oklahoma have all pretty have all passed mm-hmm. and signed bills banning critical race theory um, mm-hmm. for being taught in their state under this guise that it's a divisive concept. That's how they're wording this is they're banning, you know, divisive concepts from being taught in school as, you know, like you say, kind of a catch all. And, and, and the the concerning things is that more States are considering bills also. So there's this real rush to get out in front of what is a perceived problem um, without really understanding, you know, what it is that you're, you're banning quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the narrative surrounding CRT um, is is filled with half truths. You have conspiracies and just outright lies about what critical race theory really is. And one of the worst things we actually saw, or or statements that we saw, came from a Republican senator uh, Ted Cruz, who said that quote race theory is bigoted, it is a lie, and it is every bit as racist as the Klansmen and white sheets. That is a real statement, folks. Um, mm-hmm. And that's and that's a Republican senator elected by the people. And that's his stance on critical race theory. Obviously, he doesn't know what it is. But, you know, we just wanted to, you know, what's your reaction to his comments trying to compare critical race theory to Klansmen and white sheets? And then what do you think ultimately, you know, what is the future of critical race theory here in America with state legislatures moving at you know, a hundred miles an hour trying to get out in front of this. Mm-hmm. So again, I, th- that's a conflation of critical race theory. I would say not even conflation. That's a mischaracterization of critical race theory. You know, we were discussing earlier about how critical race theory is being conflated with like culturally relevant pedagogy and uh, diversity trainings and how it's a, an, a, an approach for understanding the legal system and how the law can replicate racial inequality, right? It's a, it's an approach um, that that was developed by a lot of legal scholars, right? Um, but it has become a catch-all for anything associated with race. And we were also talking about how there's been this co-opting of, of so much uh, wording from the civil rights movement, right? These ideas about equality and rights and um, this is racist or that's racist when what it really seems to be, again, is, is this thinly veiled resentment against uh, backlash against Black progress, right? Um after uh, we were talking about some examples, like during the period of Reconstruction, but another example of that backlash was after the Brown versus Board of Education ruling. And people think that, you know, Brown versus Board of Education was decided, uh, the separate but equal doctrine was invalidated, and everything was great. But there was actually this era of massive resistance that, that spanned for well over a decade. So you had over 100, you had 101 uh, congressmen, many of them from Southern states, members of the former Confederacy, signing the Southern Manifesto, which pledged to defy the ruling. You had state legislatures like the legislature in Virginia that threatened to cut state funding or close schools that uh, agreed to integrate 
Uh, Prince Edward County in Virginia shut down their public schools for five years rather than desegregating their schools. So children from Black families either had to move with relatives to attend schools across other district lines or move up north. I mean, it it caused enormous disruption. There wasn't just this quiet compliance. Again, you had this backlash. And so we do have to expose this for what it is, which is part of that backlash, right? It's 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 couched in much more um, politically palatable terms, but it's the same kind of backlash. And and these are not minor themes, right? Education Week noted, I think as of June 18th, 25 states have introduced bills or taken other steps that will restrict the teaching of critical race theory or limit how teachers could discuss racism or sexism, right? And so I think when we look for uh, analogies, right? Looking at the post-Brown versus Board of Education era, uh, there was a, a case, and I won't get too in-depth in the legal details, but there was a case called Swan versus Charlotte Mecklenburg, in which the court, the Supreme Court ruled the district courts, lower courts, had broad equitable powers to fashion remedies, basically, to address school segregation. One of those approaches was busing. It was one of many, many call the Swan case a busing case, but busing was one of many. Um, we talked about, or many mechanisms. We talked about uh, how deep housing segregation is, right, as a result of intentional policies. So busing originated to transcend those segregated boundaries, right? Because you, you segregated areas can't, integrate within themselves, right? You need to transport students across racially segregated uh, neighborhoods. So in backlash to that, you you had the election of Richard Nixon, Nixon who ran on an anti-integration platform, and he urged Congress uh, to pass uh, provisions um, barring the use of federal funds for transportation for to support school integration. Okay, there were three provisions. Two were included in uh, appropriations bills. One was in in a law, the General Education Provisions Act. And just to show the endurance of these, um, and this was the topic of the presidential debate, ironically, between Kamala Harris and 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 uh, now vice now Vice President Kamala Harris and President Biden. They talked about that, and they talked about Biden's support of the of busing provision, anti-busing provisions, right? This transcended party lines. And, you know, those two, so two of the provisions in the funding bills were removed in 2019. The last one, there was language included in the fiscal year 2022 funding bill to remove the final one. 2022. So we're talking 1974 to 2022. So when we think of these bans, we can't really dismiss them. We really need to recognize what's going on and speak out in opposition and again, expose these for what they are as part of that backlash, because these kind of things can have repercussions for decades. And when you think about all the school districts, that had regional desegregation programs or magnet programs that could have benefited 
from access to federal funding, those local programs that were effectively undermined because of their inability to access that funding, that's what can happen. There can be true undermining of local attempts, and that's the irony of it. So many people talk about the importance of of local control, yet they're imposing these restrictions on districts and schools and even in individual teachers' classrooms of, of what can happen. So I, I, I don't think that we can minimize, it should minimize in any way, the significance of, of these kind of provisions. You're, you're absolutely right. We shouldn't, um, you know, you know, just turn a blind eye to these things that are going on. But, but it seems like in our country, we do that. You know, if you, like, I just, I tried to figure out, you know, what are the hot topics in the media? And, you know, everyone's talking about voting rights, infrastructure, border, child tax credit, climate change, democracy, and Trump, COVID, and all of those things are important. But it's like we never really get to education and really get to painting a, mm-hmm. a, a full view of what's going on. Because what Devin and I always say um, is that education is really the the root cause to a lot of our problems in America. And Janelle, what y'all are doing with CRT is really a, a greater step to that. Because what you're saying is that your students who go on to be policymakers are learning how to make policy that's equitable. And not only that, but indirectly, they're making sure that they don't create something that's going to be uh, inequitable. Mm-hmm. So you're really tackling both dynamics to make sure that we're, we're getting back to education and we're doing the education in the appropriate lens. So my mm-hmm. question to you, Janelle, what do you think, you know, or how do we get our government to really, you know, focus more on this and, and go towards education as a solution, especially in the framework of CRT, where you're not, you know, painting anyone as a victim, you're having a more holistic approach. You know, what, what, what's the message going to be to really get our government to start focusing on that? Um, and, and, you know, not to say that the other things are not as important, but really starting to uh, kind of beat down on that. Because like I said, we feel that this is going to be a solution um, to a lot of these problems we're having with trying to get to a better society and a better community. Sure. So, so again, I think we have to expose this kind of the, this backlash, this legislative backlash, if you will, for what it is, which again is backlash against progress. It's backlash against increased political power and capital. And um, that's what all of this, you know, we, we, you mentioned uh, earlier voting rights and, and what's, what happened in Congress today, right? With, with the stalling of the voting legislation, this is all related. It's all related and it's all a part of it. And, and we have to pay attention to policy and what's happening. Policy always has a purpose. And is that purpose going to be to maintain racial inequality and uphold this idea of white supremacy? And they're not calling it white supremacy. They're not saying that they want to maintain racial inequality. They're, they're, uh, miscasting the very approach that will help us expose and examine and help eradicate racism. They're miscasting that as racist. And so we have to expose that and, and we have to address it. We, we need folks who, who can speak up at some of these school board meetings and not to get into this vitriol and, and, and these kind of, um, 
angry exchanges, right? But to truly speak up and, and be mindful of what we're examining. If, if there are parents who are truly concerned about how their child will be taught about race, well, what kind of support and professional development training can educators have on, on culturally relevant instruction, right? And, and how can we implement that and support educators and prepare them who have also been products of our education system, right? To promote racially inclusive classrooms. How can we refocus again on the content of what's happening? And uh, uh, again, highlight what I think a lot of people have a collective desire to learn a holistic vision of, of racial equity, but move away from again, these talking points that are mischaracterizing critical race theory, and then focus again on um, what exposing racism, right? And exposing what's happening. So again, speaking up at, at these school board meetings, weighing in with state legislators who are passing these bans. And you'll notice too, it's racism and sexism. Right. So I don't want that to go unnoticed either. What will students be learning about gender and gender inequality as well? And, and what will the consequences of these kind of restrictions have on educators? What if there are educators who some people don't like and they want to somehow start? I, in none of this, I, 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 I want to add a legal disclaimer as an attorney, but hypothetically, what if you want to start penalizing educators, um, for, for what, what's going on in the classroom? I don't even know if that's even hypothetical. I think it might, someone talked about educators wearing body cameras or something like that, right? Think about what some of the wider consequences are and let's focus on that and focus on confronting um, uh, the passage or, or, or of these kind of things, right? Because just like the ban on federal funding for transportation for school integration can seem so innocuous to so many people, well, look at the consequences that you can have, right? Over over decades, and uh, we have to f- refocus our efforts and and really. Uh, if we are committed, all those people who are engaged and enraged and are, they're hanging Black Lives Matter signs in their windows or in their, uh, they're in their yards, this is the time, right, to engage and to address these kind of legislative uh, efforts. That's exactly right. I mean, hearing you talk about it, you know, makes it more real, you know, on, on a, a state, a local level that your district could be discussing these very things and deciding, you know, what your, your, your child or student may be taught next year or may not be taught next year because it's considered divisive. You know, that's a very broad, that could be a very broad category when you're mm-hmm. passing a bill that says it's going to ban divisive concepts from being taught. And, and, and I, I think too, hearing you talk about it, this is a, a veiled threat at, you know, Black Lives Matter. You know, we know that they're trying to get, you know, uh, concepts taught in schools. And this could be a way of, of shunning that and saying, no, you can't teach that because it's considered divisive. You know, we well, talked to. 
It's an unprecedented kind of uh, overreach into what's, mm-hmm. what local jurisdictions are teaching and crafting, right, for, for their curriculum and, and for children to learn, right? And there are schools and, and districts that have decided they want to focus on culturally relevant instruction and, and talk about racial inequality, right? So this is really also about restricting that kind of choice about what's taught. And you know, Janelle, a lot of those same school districts, not only are they teaching more racially diverse things, but they're teaching more holistic things about like financial literacy and, you know, holistic, you know, wellness approaches and things like that. So that's a great perspective too, to say that we don't need to restrict them from teaching things that aren't a part of the curriculum, like, you know, math and algebra and all that kind of stuff. Right, right. And then what we'll do here, we're going to wrap up this segment so we can make sure to get Janelle out of here. We want to just make sure we get your final message, Janelle. Um, We always say it's a way for our guests to wrap up our episode in a big old bow and send it off to our fans. So Mm -hmm. uh, viewers, listeners, stick with us. We're going to take our last break. And when we come back, we're going to get Janelle's final message. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are the foundation and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, fans of the Black Agenda Podcast, we're wrapping our segment up here, or rather our, our episode conversation with Janelle George, adjunct professor of Georgetown University, going to be an associate professor at Georgetown Law University uh, next month. Um, Janelle, again, just wanting to kind of send off this episode and a great bow to our fans here and to kind of set the stage for you. You know, whenever we're talking about CRT, it seems like fear keeps coming up. You know, it seems like people are afraid of what CRT is trying to teach. And whenever you're talking about fear, um, one of the things can be said is that it's so powerful that it almost helped put Donald Trump into the White House because so many people are being afraid of being replaced by black and brown people that look like you and I. And that same fear, I feel like, is being kind of steeped up whenever we're talking about CRT. Um, And it almost just forces people to just accept that America did have a part to play in where we are today with the problems of different minority communities. So, Janelle, we wanted to round off this conversation and get you to leave us with the final message that kind of drowns out that fear that a lot of people are talking about whenever they're saying that, you know, that CRT is trying to paint people as victims or oppressors and replace that with hope for why understanding the concepts of CRT is really important for us healing years of injustice. Sure. So again, critical race theory has has become this lightning rod, this catch-all for anything related to race. It has been miscast as, as something that in in itself uh, is is racist, right? But it's it's an approach, and again, this is used at the, at the graduate level. It's an approach for understanding how racial inequality can be replicated, right? But I think what we have to pay attention to is is 
what's happening in state legislatures, what's happening at school board meetings. Uh, so I encourage folks to attend those meetings, to engage, uh, because this kind of legislation is being enacted. What will it open the door to? And when I say this kind of legislation, I'm referring to legislation that restricts what can be taught in the classroom about race or about sexism. I mentioned during the last segment the importance of supporting educators through quality professional development about how to deliver culturally responsive instruction or how to foster culturally inclusive classrooms, that kind of support, those kind of services exist. Those are the kind of thing that, things that districts can invest in, right, to ensure and, and also to address some parents' fears about how teachers may be talking about the, the topic of racial inequality or racism in the classroom, right? But if we look at some of these legislative proposals, even some of those that that haven't past, right, that haven't been enacted, we really have to be mindful of what kind of precedents they sent, send, what kind of consequences they could have um, further down the line. I mentioned the ban on busing, um, which, which stood for almost half a century, uh, the ban on access to federal funds to support busing for school integration. It was half a century, right? We're talking about recently, right? That, the, that, that was finally the last provision was removed. If, if you look at this bill in Arizona, and I'm looking at the Education Week chart that maps, all the legislative proposals, SB 1532. In May, this bill would have fined teachers $5,000. By the way, that's a pretty substantial portion of, of a teacher's salary, right? For promoting one side of a controversial topic. That bill failed to pass. But we have to think about what kind of, again, what kind of precedent is being set what kind of impact that has on educators, uh, well-intentioned educators, well-intentioned schools and districts um, in this kind of reaching into the classroom and what's being taught uh, in the classroom, right? Um, uh, in Florida, uh, in, in um, Devin, you mentioned this provision passed um, uh, the State Board of Education voted to approve a rule that prohibits schools from teaching critical race theory, which, again, many, uh, most, if not all, K-12 schools are not teaching critical race theory. That's a graduate-level course, or, or not even course. It's a graduate-level theory. Um, and the 1619 Project, right? So there's that intrusion on what can actually be taught the content of instruction. So I, I would say, you know, it's important to um, really recognize what some of the long-term consequences of these kind of provisions and rules and, and laws uh, can have on what happens in classrooms. And also to take, again, a step back and expose this for uh, honestly, the backlash that, that it actually is. And, and we have, it's up to us to decide what kind of country we're going to be. Are, are we going to be inclusive? Are we going to, uh, face and acknowledge the truth of who we are, who we have been, 
And again, this isn't to cast anyone as, as a victim or, or an oppressor, right? But it's to really recognize because that's really what the first step we need if we're ever going to have any kind of reconciliation. But we have to decide that. And, and so this moment is really a touch point, uh, to, to make that choice. And, and that choice can really impact the trajectory of, of where we go as a country. Exactly. That's that's a message that needs to be heard, you know, wide and far, because, you know, like you say, you know, we 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 get to choose what kind of country we are. And mm-hmm. these bills that are passing, these rules that are passing, trying to ban something like critical race theory and understand, too, they're very strategic in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like you say, that they're, they're co-opting certain words, equality and, and mm-hmm. rights, civil rights and things like that, trying to cast this as something just as bad as what we went through in the 70s, you know, mm-hmm. Klansmen and, and saying it's racist, the 1619 Project is racist. That is on purpose. They're not just saying that just willy nilly. That's on purpose mm-hmm. to make mm-hmm. sure that they can advance an agenda to where they can reach into a school and say, you know what? You can't teach these things because we say it's racist mm-hmm. or it's mm-hmm. telling one side mm-hmm. of the conversation, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and listen, you know, this is a big deal because we know firsthand we, you know, most of the country just found out what Juneteenth was all about last year. Right. <laughs> so that should right. tell you something about what's being taught in the public schools. So, absolutely. You know, is it really something that we should be celebrating where states are running and falling over themselves to ban, you know, critical race theory, but not only critical race theory, but, you know, the 1619 project, because they're tying all of this together right. in one bow to right. say, these things are off limits. And we know the damage that that can do when our history is not taught to the next generation because we're going through it right now and trying to reteach everybody about the right. real history of the country. So if you feel like, man, it's just critical race theory, we don't have to pay attention to the bills, you better think twice mm-hmm. and understand that these things have repercussions and you may mm-hmm. end up in a similar position down the road trying to fix this. And, and right. you know, when we have conversations, and this is why conversations like this are so important. So that one, we understand the topic, but we understand what needs to be done to kind of blunt the forces that are out there, you know, trying to rewrite or, as you say, sanitize history, mm-hmm. uh, which is absolutely what's being done. So I just appreciate that message and wanted to make sure we get that out there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, listeners, viewers, we're going to wrap up our final message segment. Janelle, I just want to thank you for being with us. Um, really, really awesome insight. Um, everything you said, everybody, you know, please, uh, fans, you know, rewatch this, share it so that people can really understand. Um, tell your congressmen, your senators and stuff about this, because obviously they don't understand what CRT is. But maybe Janelle George can educate them. So, again, Janelle, we thank you. Um, listeners, viewers, uh, remember, you've been listening to Janelle George, adjunct professor at Georgetown uh, University. Um, Again, thank you, Janelle, for being with us. Make sure you stay healthy. And we can't wait to uh, have you back on the show again. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listeners, viewers, Devin and I, we're going to give you one more break. And when we come back, Devin and I, we're just going to wrap up the episode. So stick with us. We'll be right back. have been listening to the black agenda podcast hosted by adrian guest and devin dito if you enjoy listening to the show let the host know by leaving a review on apple podcast or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod 
and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So as always, we like to end the show with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the podcast. Um, So coming up uh, on July 3rd, which is next Saturday, we'll be back to bring you all the news on Saturday. Uh, It'll be weekly roundup number three. That's where we'll be bringing all the news from the past week, some big stories, maybe some smaller stories that you didn't hear about. Um, So whether you're getting ready for brunch on Saturday or Sunday, um, we'll be there to help you kind of fill you in from all the news that you may have missed um, from the past week. So again, that'll be Saturday, July 3rd, weekly roundup number three. We'll be right back with you, uh, bringing you the news. And so then after that, our next podcast episode um, is going to come out. It's going to be episode number three. This time we're going to be discussing policing after George Floyd. So we know we're, we're over a year now from the passing of George Floyd and the uproar and the racial reckoning that we had here in the country last year, where a year after a number of cities um, supposedly defunded the police and moved funding to other things. So we want to kind of go back. We want to check and see how that is actually working on the ground floor. And even the president is ramping up, you know, funding to police departments to combat uh, gun, recent gun violence, there's been a spike in that. So we're going to really try to dig into what's going on. So a couple of things, policing after George Floyd, the recent um, vi- gun violence spike. We're really going to talk about all of that coming up in our next episode. And that's going to be on Tuesday, um, July 6th. That's going to be episode number three, which is called Policing After uh, George Floyd. So to really, really good things coming up. And as always, we do Appreciate your support from listening and watching the podcast, but there are are other ways that you can help us out. Um, And one way is giving your money to us. And so, um, Adrian, uh, we'll let you know how you can do that. It's very, very easy. (laughs) Yes, that is absolutely right. Uh, Everybody, that is super easy. Just go to our website, blackagendapod.com, and you can click the donate tab and start donating from there. Um, But I always like to tell you why you should be donating, because I think why is important and it's very powerful. Um, Goes beyond just funding what we do. Obviously, it costs money for us to do Zoom, Podbean and everything. But Dev and I are really trying to build something that we can, you know, make a movement. We can make something that really transcends to all the communities through our country, do something to better our society. And unfortunately, you can have good ideas, but it takes money to better society in a capitalistic world. So we need your dollars. We need your cents. Um, When you give to us, we can also give to other charities like the charity of the month that we're going to be highlighting Uh, for the month of July. We're going to be recognizing Color of Change. It's the nation's largest online racial justice organization to help people respond effectively to injustice in the world around us. As a national online force driven by 7 million members, They move decision makers and corporations and government to create a more humane and less hostile world for black people in America. So really, really good, positive organization there. Really wanted to make sure to highlight them. Um, Make sure you like, follow, share, you know, everything you see with us. Um, Devin, tell everybody how they can find us. Absolutely. So again, make sure you like, share and follow us. If you have your phone next to you, which you probably do, or if you're watching on your phone, When this video is over, click out, go to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, type in at Black Agenda Pod, and you'll see us, the Black Agenda Podcast. Follow us. Make sure you follow us on all the major platforms. Uh, We usually put out some great content. We'll let you know what's upcoming on the show. 
Um, so again, just follow us, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Black Agenda Pod. And then you can also find us on YouTube. Just search the Black Agenda Podcast and we'll come right up. And that way you can make sure to watch all the video content that we have. It's very, very good stuff. Um, so again, uh, Black at Black Agenda Pod on the major platform. So um, before we get out of here, we just want to give a thanks to uh, Miss Janelle George for coming on the show. A very, very good interview. As you can see, she is an expert and she, you know, gave it to us plainly about what critical race theory is and what is, you know, where it's really being taught. A thanks to her and Georgetown University and congratulations to her for becoming an associate professor at Georgetown Law next month. So, uh, again, we thank you all for watching and listening to us here. And for me and Adrian, we'll catch you next time. Thank you.